Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Design the Future podcast. We're happy to be back with you again this week. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. Yeah, here we are. Happy summertime, Kira. How are you feeling? Good. I've got a little bit of little league laryngitis, so my voice is a little Ooh. scratchy. That <laughs> sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good to baseball. know what your, what your voice is capable of these days, I guess. <laughs> Good. been yelling my head off. I've never enjoyed oh. Little League so much. Nothing like a pandemic to make me really appreciate um, <laughs> any, anything social. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything social. That's good. I was going to say, we're, yeah, in our household, my partner um, watches a lot of um, basketball. He's a big basketball fan. He went to UNC um, Chapel Hill. And so he's like big Tar Heel guy. And oh. we, and so we watch a lot of sports and the beginning of the pandemic was rough without the sports to watch. I like, I've never been so excited to watch an ESP. I've never watched an ESPN documentary, you know, but we watched that one about Michael Jordan and like, yeah. Yeah. So even if it's not a social event, I understand um, the, like the, the joy that people get out of having sports back. Um, yep amazing to yeah, it's fun it's been really I don't know I think the families coming together around Little League have you know in the in previous seasons it's always like oh more baseball you know it's like we're slogging around dragging our kids from one thing to the next but the appreciation yeah. of it is so great this year everyone is just in such a good mood and so happy to have our kids engaged in group activities and you know we just there's a lot of the, there's this general underlying gratitude that it wasn't there before, which I'm really appreciating. Oh, oh that's nice. Yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying those moments. I've been, I guess we haven't talked about this on the podcast. I feel like I've been talking about it a lot that I've been um, grappling with these questions of introversion and extroversion and people coming back out of the pandemic and sort of trying to evaluate their their interest, like their own emotions about all of these social interactions. Yeah. And I think I've been classically thought of as an extrovert by people in my life before, but I've gradually become more introverted as I've gotten older, which seems kind of natural, but it doesn't get talked about a lot that that like that kind of thing can change, mm -hmm. you know, and so I'm feeling like it's this weird thing where I'm so enjoying this, like the ability to hug people again. Um, and, and I, and I, and then I'll see something on social media where someone will be like, I do not want to hug you. Like, yeah, <laughs> not me personally, but like yes. the posts of the introverts, you know, are really like coming out in force right now for me. Totally. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to navigate that while still wanting to hug. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I think, um, I mean, in some ways the pandemic was a like <laughs> license for some people to be like, okay, good. You know, arm's length is really better for me anyway. <laughs> I'm just going to stay over here. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting. I just had coffee this morning with someone who was in town and, you know, it was like seeing someone in real life was such a, uh, we hugged. It was wonderful. I was so pleased to see her. And it was, it's a person that I usually would see at all the conferences that we haven't gone to in the last couple of years so yeah it was great it was really great <laughs> yeah it's a hard thing I just don't know I, I'm, I'm waiting for there to be like some some great like new societal sort of norms for this because you know um 
there's a way in which we could all just stop hugging and that would be good for some people. And then there's like the awkward, like, can I hug you question? Um, mm -hmm. There's like the sort of body language, like go in for a hug and see what happens choice. There's like all these different <laughs> ways that you can navigate that. But I, I really don't, I, I think a lot of people need to be hugged right now. And yeah. like, and so I don't want it to be that simple of a sort of like a let's not hug unless it's a previously established big thing that we've agreed we're going to do together. Like yep. I want, I want to still feel like, yeah. And I don't know. It's just a weird thing. I think, I think um, I'm still, still navigating. I don't know why I came up so much with hugging when you talked about little league, but it was something about the idea that everyone's so much more thankful of like just the yeah. act of getting to be in the same place um, that, yeah, I think it's, I, it, yeah, there's like all these little, little things that go along with it that feel um, like new negotiations, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is interesting to, I mean, and it's always been a little thing about sort of what's the default, shake hands, to, you know, if you're, if you're with anyone who's European, then there's also, are they kissing on the cheek or, you know, are you hugging? Are you, what is yeah. the default for the relationship category that I have with this person, you know, totally, um, know. which is an interesting thing. And then you add the pandemic layer to that. Um, and then you have to sort of there, then there's a question of like, what region are you in and what is the vaccination rate and all those other oh, things? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Never was this so complicated as it is now, but right. uh, yeah, I'm going to keep doing the body language, go in for a hug and see what happens thing. Yep. That's my, I like it. I like it. Default, uh, default to the hug because we need it. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like wanting to make sure people feel like they can still get it if they need it. Like I, I, yep. that's my, that's where that energy comes from for me. Um, but yeah, anyway, I mean, sometimes we talk about professional things when we introduce our, our podcast, but today it's about hugging everybody. I hope that's okay with you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a feel little different. To... It's a little different, but we probably should move on and introduce our guest for today. We are so excited to have Marta Schantz with us today. Welcome, Marta. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And if I were with you, I think I would virtually fist bump you. We've taught our one-year-old how to do that, and it's pretty great. Awesome. Oh, also a one-year-old doing a fist bump sounds adorable. So. About the cutest thing ever. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. I agree. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, Marta, I want to do a quick introduction um, and then we'll jump into the questions. Marta Schantz is the Senior Vice President for the Greenprint Center for Building Performance at the Urban Land Institute, which is a research center and worldwide, worldwide alliance of real estate leaders committed to improving the environmental performance of the industry, reducing carbon emissions and increasing building value. Recent focus areas range from city real estate partnerships for climate policy to embodied carbon in real estate to net zero buildings. Before her time at ULI, Marta worked at Waypoint Energy, Booz Allen Hamilton, and the US Department of Energy, all different ranges of or perspectives on this, on this topic. Marta is a lead green associate and a Fitwell ambassador, and she holds a BS in biological engineering with a minor in science, technology, and society from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Marta, we're so thrilled to have you. And to get us started, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about how and why you got involved in real estate and sustainability. What has been your path? Yes. So 
I'm going to bring this all the way back to college because that's really where a lot of my, my interests in sustainability and eventually building some real estate came to be. I, as you noted in my bio, I, I went to MIT, I have a bioengineering degree, and traditionally folks do lab work. They'll go into the lab and they'll pipette cells and, and do some, some science magic. Oh my gosh, Kira, Lindsay, I hated lab work so much. I, and so I appreciated science, but I hated the lab work so much. I was like, what can I do? What, what are my options? I was too stubborn to change my degree. So I, I learned about science policy and I thought, you know what? This is great. I'll go to DC. I'll learn about science policy. I'll, I'll save the world. So I, I interned with MIT's Washington office, which is its advocacy and legislative arm in, in the Capitol. And my task for the summer was to track the waxman markey cap and trade bill. I don't know if you remember, it was a big deal back in the 2000s. Now it's, it's, it's less discussed, but it, it was my first introduction into everything climate change, everything carbon emissions, everything green buildings. And, and I loved it, I thrived. We didn't have a, a green buildings degree or a sustainability degree option even back when I was in college. And so it, it really opened my eyes to, to the opportunities of what's out there professionally. So after graduating, I got a job at the U.S. Department of Energy working on cost analyses in their, in their budget office. And then I eventually moved over to the, the contracting side at Booz Allen on their energy team, working on a, a myriad projects ranging from nuclear energy financing to, um, to Department of Defense, like military base sustainability to green buildings and with the US Department of Energy's Better Buildings Office. And that was what got me most excited, the, the buildings. So Booz Allen Hamilton is this huge, huge consulting firm and from there, I moved on to a very small boutique consulting firm called Waypoint Energy that specifically looked at the nexus of utility energy efficiency programs and real estate, because real estate is tough. It, it is a market that the owners don't generally occupy the buildings. There are a number of split incentives amongst all the stakeholders in play. It is so profit driven around the business case. And so I, I learned a lot over, over a number of years running kind of East Coast operations for, for our Waypoint Energy office. And a number of the real estate folks I worked for or worked with in those different projects with different utilities said, Murta, there's this job opening at ULI. We, we think you should apply. I was like, all right. So I, I applied for it and, and I found out it was really interesting. Uh, so ULI is this, is this industry group of, for real estate, as, as you mentioned in my bio, Kara, and that is the audience we need to like talk about sustainability and, and why it's so important. The, the built environment is so much controlled by the owners and developers of the buildings themselves. And I thought, you know what, if I can lead a research team and, and do some interesting work on this, I, there's a real opportunity for impact and change and, and it would just be fun. And that is what happened. And so here I am, I've been at ULI for, for almost three years now and it, it's been a fun ride so far. Indeed. And as you note, real estate is tough. And so I want to ask you, I mean, we, we think that a number of our listeners are actually at various points in their careers, some of whom are sort of charting their path. And, and I'd love to know what do you, what you think people should know if they're considering entering the real estate sector, what should they be good at and interested in? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the real estate sector, things are very numbers driven. 
So being able to understand financial data analysis and speak that real estate jargon of, of return on investment, ROI, internal rate of return, IRR, payback period, NPV, all of the acronyms, it helps so much to know them, to speak them fluently, to, to get that trust within the real estate wonks who've been around for a long time. Uh, on the on the interest side of things, when you're going into sustainability in the real estate sector, you've got to know real estate and you've got to be interested in sustainability. So whether that's green buildings, smart technology, innovation, um, all of those things are what what wakes, what gets me up in the morning, what gets me excited about, about working in this space. And um, additionally, I guess I would say it helps to have your lead green associates um, accreditation. It's one of those things where it's it's not a check the box, I don't think, because it still makes sure that, that the person has a lot of understanding around the, the 201, 301 level of, of information around green buildings. It, it's really helpful to make sure that you are confident in that knowledge when you're looking for, uh, looking for jobs in the sector. I love this. It's a, it's a great shout out. It's so funny. I feel like I forgot, especially because, you know, you, I worked at USGBC that like, Mm -hmm. there's so much terminology and there's so many just kind of basic things to get down um that yeah I've forgotten to tell people getting started in their careers that that's like a good process to go through but then when I remember and they start going through it um like getting you know studying for the GA and everything I'm like yeah actually this is this is the stuff you know like so yeah I totally appreciate that um that's how I started it's how I started to geek out on cooling towers and the opportunity for water efficiency and energy efficiency. Don't even get yeah, started. Totally. It's like a sampler platter, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Um, well, okay. So let's dive into your work a little bit more. I'm excited to, we could take like five hours to talk about all the things that Marta's working on at ULI with her team. And so we're going to do our best to get you the, like the high level um, exciting tidbits, but um, we want to start off first, Marta, by asking you what you're most proud of accomplishing in your work life. Like what, what, uh, what have been the peaks for you so far? I love this question. It, it really makes you think about what, what you've done over time and, and what you're most proud of. So I, I mentioned a little bit about how ULI Greenprint, which is the, the group that I lead, we, we do a lot of research and we also have a community of practice of real estate firms who are Greenprint members and are, are dedicated together to collaborate on reducing carbon and building value across portfolios. They have shared goals and shared best practices and it's it's a real community. And when I started at ULI, it was on the smaller side. There were around 20 companies or so who, who were participating. It, and we've doubled in size. I, I am so proud that we have doubled the size of the community of practice. It's a really strong group with almost 50 real estate firms across the globe. These, these folks are like the vanguard of real estate sustainability. And, and I'm really proud that we've been able to grow the group, strengthen it, and, and have it be a truly valuable community across the, across the globe. Yes, and it is. It's an incredible community. It's so cool to see who you've brought together and um, yeah, just a great accomplishment. And it says a lot about you too. That that's like the thing that you're proud of is growing a community. Um, so we'll maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more. But before we do, I want to make sure that everybody understands 
um, with like a little bit more color, what ULI is as an organization, how, how it's different from other organizations in our community. So you want to kind of give us just like a real, mm -hmm. a real mm -hmm. basic thing, navigation of ULI. Yes. So ULI, the Urban Land Institute, is a global real estate group. We come at all of the topics we look at with the lens of real estate and the built environment, as opposed to um, arguably what a lot of other organizations across our, our industry do coming at it from a sustainability or, or climate change perspective. So we were grounded in this kind of business case around real estate with the mission to shape the future of the built environment for transformative impact in communities worldwide. We wanna build a better tomorrow. And our members are owners, developers, investors, architects, engineers, contractors, consultants, bankers, everyone in the real estate value chain is, are the type of, of members we have at ULI. And, and so that makes us pretty unique. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the, there's a couple of these things, right? It's like you said, it's, it's not a sustainability. It didn't, didn't start for the sake of sustainability. Mm -hmm. It started for the sake of sort of real estate and, um, and, and all of that, um, like, yeah, thought leadership in this broader area. And I think one of the things that's meant that you all have done is that it, I feel like you're sort of a harbinger of what um, the industry is actually considering doing next, rather than just like some of the crazy ideas that are out there in the world, um, which is not to say anything bad about the crazy ideas, folks. I'm a fan, but like we all have our, we all have our, you know, voice in the choir. And that's one of the things I, I love about um, what you all do at ULI is just that you have that that um, ability to really speak to and with um, industry leaders, you know. Um, so so I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Well, first of all, um, uh, I want to make sure everybody knows that there are way more useful ULI documents on their website than you could possibly imagine. We're going to try to like talk about a couple of them here. Um, but I've just been really impressed. So like, can I just also, can you give us like the basics of the different groups at ULI mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you like, like that you cover or, you know, the different, yes. you know, kind of like just tease out the topic areas people might be excited to dive into there. Mm -hmm. So across ULI, we do put out so much content. We have a lot of thought leadership. It's one of our value drivers for our members and, and for the broader industry. A lot of folks know ULI for our capital markets team. We have this flagship emerging trends report that comes out every year that's pretty influential. Additionally, we have a, a housing center called the Terwilliger Center that looks at workforce and affordable housing. We have a building healthy places team that looks at health and social equity across communities and cities. We have an urban resilience team that is, is kind of the, the yin to my yang on for Greenprint because they look at climate adaptation and, and resilience on, on the stresses and, and strains to the environment. And we also have a new infrastructure content team that's looking at everything possibly considered infrastructure from broadband to roads to utility, um, utility wires. So it's a lot of rich content. And, and as you were saying, Lindsay, our audience is the non-choir. You were saying how we all have folks who are, are preaching to the choir. Like that's, that's not our, the folks who we're trying to reach. We want to reach the non-choir, the folks who maybe haven't yet bought into sustainability, but need to. And so we, we work on the business case and, and think about 
all of these different topics for our members. Love it. Yes, thank you. And it is, it's a great service uh, to, to the movement in that way. Um, okay, so tell us about just like your, the one thing right now that you're working on that you're particularly excited about that you want our listeners to know about. Yes. So ULI globally is putting together a, a handful of transformational initiatives that will be driving our focus and mission and activities over the next few years one of which is net zero and decarbonization, which I'm just taking a step back and thinking about that. A real estate industry group saying one of our big three priorities is net zero. I am so geeked about it. I, I cannot wait to have all of ULI's work be centering around decarbonization, not only because it's important for you know, the timeline we're on and the, the intense challenges we have around this climate emergency, but also because there is a real business case and opportunity for real estate folks who get ahead on this. So I, I am so excited to have resources coming out on net zero, to have webinars, trainings, reports, convenings. We're doing a bunch of stuff on net zero because ULI as a global organization is making a commitment. And I, I know that's kind of a, a big picture project, but it's, it's becoming a real North Star and I'm pumped. That's so exciting, Marta, to hear, you know, that the notion of that being a North Star for that organization. Um, I'm a big fan of ULI because I work a lot with architects and I always say, you've got to be involved with ULI because you've got to be talking across the disciplines. And that's what I love about ULI, about pro your programming and everything. It's always different voices. It's not just owners or just architects. It's all, it's so many pieces of the conversation, um, you know, in one room. And I love that. Um, and I wanted to ask you um, about something that you've done recently. ULI just recently um, released a report on electrification and you, you mentioned these priorities and so I'm sure that's connected to that, but I wanted to talk a little bit about why electrification, why that report is important and, and why now? Yes, so one of the things we try and do at ULI with all of our research centers, but especially our, our Green Print Center, when we're looking at climate mitigation and everything under that umbrella, we want to stay ahead of the curve. We want to stay a couple of steps ahead so that we can let our members know, hey, this is coming down the pike. This is an important topic you should be aware about. Let us, let us teach you the importance of this so that you're ready when, when it comes knocking. And for example, we did that a few years ago with an embodied carbon report for real estate that, that I think was definitely as well like ahead of its time in a good way. And I see it the same thing for electrification. As we think about a path for decarbonization, most of real estate hasn't yet realized that buildings have to electrify to be truly zero carbon, right? No gas. And so we think about all of these net zero, carbon neutral, decarbonized by 2050 goals that have been set. You know, there's the Paris Climate Accord. There are all of these city and, and real estate and, and other industry goals. Together, you've got to be all electric, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to be proactive. The business case for this is impending so soon it's coming up that cities are starting to require it across California, but even more broadly now. And, and we think it's important for real estate to pay attention to. So we put together this report that highlights the business case with a handful of case studies of both new construction and retrofit projects to electrify commercial buildings. 
That's so, I, I love the report and the case studies are so important. And, and I really do appreciate you're mentioning both the business case, but also the regulations and, you know, helping owners stay ahead of where regulations are going. Mm -hmm. That's a really critical piece of that too. Um, so I want to shift gears slightly because I, I understand that in the last couple of years, you have gotten engaged in local government with the city of Alexandria too. So speaking of local regulations, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why you're doing that and, and what's going on there. Absolutely. So a couple of years ago, I joined the city of Alexandria, Virginia's Environmental Policy Commission. And it, I honestly didn't even know that that was a thing people did. I, I, I imagine every city or county or locality has a number of boards and commissions that local citizens can be a part of to, to share your knowledge with, with local city staff and, and help advance budget priorities and policy decisions and statewide lobbying and you know, being in the, the green building sector with real estate and sustainability at that nexus point for me, I was really interested. So I, so I applied and I, I got on the commission and what we do is we meet monthly and we talk about all sorts of issues and, and topics that we think are important for environmental policy in our city. There are 13 of us and, and we, we bring in city staff to talk about budgets. We talk about everything across the sustainability umbrella from flooding in residential areas to um, tree canopy, to transportation, electric vehicle charging infrastructure, to a green building policy for new construction and, and everything in between. And it's been a tremendously valuable and fulfilling experience, just being able to push the city to do more, giving guidance on policy, advising on different budget asks and, and how we can prioritize to have the biggest impact on, on climate mitigation in the city, uh, encouraging our city lobbyists to push the state to do interesting advances in, in legislative work on climate, and then also asking developers to be more sustainable when they come to our city and put up um, plans for, for new big projects. It's it's something I definitely recommend folks, folks take a look at and explore your um, likely wonky city websites to, to see if there are opportunities. It, it's not like I get paid for it, but I, I find it to be a really neat way to be more connected with the city and also use my knowledge in a, in a pretty productive way. So there's, there's this phrase, like, act local, think global. And, and I find that just applies quite nicely to this. Absolutely. Well, I commend you for getting involved in that way. Um, it is a big time commitment, but I think you're such a good example of how it can really sort of, you know, be rewarding personally, but also be, you know, very intimately connected to what you're thinking about professionally. So good on you. Thank you for doing that. And I love it. Thanks. And I love hearing about details of like all the stuff you touch in that capacity. Um, and it's wonderful that they have that commission so that you guys can look at all those different issues and sort of see everything that sustainability really does touch um, for mm -hmm. a city. Um, so shifting gears just a little bit, um, we'd like to talk about um, the green building movement slash industry, the, which is, so it's often thought of as a movement and other people refer to it as an industry. And I'm just curious, we're curious, you know, do you feel like you're part of an industry or a movement or, or both? And how do you think about that for yourself? I think we're somewhere in between. When I think of a movement, the green building movement, I think of like hippies sitting in trees. And, and I think we're past that. 
And when I think of an industry, like if we were to be a, you know, a green building industry, I think of gray beards and suits. Well, no, with women, gray, gray hair in suits. And, and so we've made awesome progress. I mean, 20 years ago, perhaps the, it was a green building movement. 20 years from now, I hope it'll be a full-fledged green building industry. I, I think we're in transition right now. We're, we're neither in between. Yeah, I like this. I like the way that you're sort of like, okay, what is the feel of being in these things? That totally makes sense. And I appreciate like, uh, I don't know, just both sides of that spectrum. Um, yeah, I feel it. I feel it too. Although I do have my hippie moments, as we all know. Oh, I mean, we all do. We're, we all have to be a little crunchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's important. Keeps us grounded. Um, all right. Well, so I want to know, uh, a little bit more about where you think things uh, should be, I guess, like having been doing this for a while, where did you think that our work would, our progress would sit in the year 2020 or in the 2020s? Um, how do you think we're doing? What, what dreams did you have that have been modified? Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And where's that cap and trade bill? Where is that cap and trade bill? Exactly, Kira. I mean, I, I thought we would have more national leadership on, on climate, on energy efficiency, on renewables, on, on decarbonization. And it, we've had a lot of local leadership from, from cities and counties and states. But I, I really thought by the 2020s, we'd, we'd have a lot more figured out. I, I think politics are tough, bad to say it lightly. And so that certainly has a, been a big challenge and roadblock to, to advancing progress. But I, I, I hate to say, it, I thought we'd be a lot further. Yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah. <laughs> We're all getting used Didn't to it. Didn't we all? Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything specific on the building side for you that you feel like you were, I don't know, just like what you thought cities would feel like or um, I mean, obviously flying cars, we all know that has not happened, um, mm -hmm. despite mm -hmm. being raised on the Jetsons, but like anything that you, that you, um, have envisioned, I guess, that has been slower to come, um, in the sort of landscape of buildings and cities. I would say smart technology is, mm -hmm. is a big major progress area that could have a huge impact on, on sustainability. Um, prop tech is a big hot phrase for that. Climate tech is a, a growing phrase that I'm excited about. And, and I see the real estate industry slowly buying into that. More and more real estate folks and companies are investing in climate tech early on to be able to pilot the technologies in their own building, have a competitive advantage, but also advance the industry and advance the, the technology. It, it's tricky with real estate because Oh, gosh, the industry is so risk averse. If something's working, you know, why change it? And if something has a risk, why take it? And so being able to, to encourage real estate companies to understand the advantages of early adoption of technology, piloting new ideas, it gaining those, those savings or, or, or competitive advantages, there's a huge opportunity. And, and I'm hopeful that we'll get a lot more progress as more and more commercial buildings adopt smart technology. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. It is kind of a shocker. I think it's most, I've felt it most when you understand that like a lot of buildings in America are still running, you know, Windows 95, literally. They're or, still on. 
they're still on pneumatics. Yeah. 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 There's an amazing amount. I mean, yeah, the building I'm in, like the building I live in, we have, um, we have pneumatic thermostats. It's the kind of thermostat where when you turn it on, it makes a hissing noise. And I'm just like, whoa, well, (laughs) all right, guys, this is really bringing it back. Um, But yeah, it's, it's an amazing it is amazing and it is shocking and it should be shocking. And I, I think people are starting to come to terms with um, the complexity, right? It's like, yeah. I, you know, I, I get frustrated with people in Silicon Valley who sort of are like, yeah, this is like ripe for disruption. And it's like, well, it's not really ripe. It's just complicated. There's a lot of reasons why we have to use real intelligence. And like you're talking about sort of work with people to make it safe, not risky to try new things, you know, that's all just taken a lot of time. Um, but yeah, hopefully we're starting to get there. It feels like there's more, more of an ecosystem, uh, developed to make that. Okay. Um, all right. Well, well, what about sort of progress areas? Where do you think of where, where are you proud of what we've managed to accomplish so far in the building industry, um, in terms of sustainability? What do you, what do you think we've been doing a good job at so far? I would say we've been doing a good job in the real estate industry of hmm. well, th- we've been doing good on a lot of things. So I'm, I'm trying to just pick one and <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it's not that there aren't any, oh goodness. I realized that pause kind of could no, be interpreted in two ways. It was funny oh. though. <laughs> I, no, I know what you mean. It is really hard to encompass it. So yeah, no, like I totally I, know what you mean. Let's see if I were to pick one one thing that we just completely blew out of the water wonderfully, I would say LED lighting. How hey. many buildings have LEDs now? Utilities yeah. incentivized it. Real estate sees that there's a one to two year payback period. It's within everyone's ownership period. The lighting is wonderfully successful now. It's not like 10 years ago where LEDs were awful. Like LEDs are crushing it in the commercial real estate sector. It is the lowest of hanging fruit and and that is progress, even though it's maybe boring and old school sounding now. Real estate's really bought into LED lighting, and and that's good. Yeah, I like that one. It, it is. It's the very. It's like if only everything could be LED lighting. I think about that with solar too. It's like why can't we just mm. be as easy, like as sort of straightforward as solar? That would be cool. Um, well, don't you think part cool. of it? But part of it is that there's not enough of the pricing of risk yet to incentivize the other areas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's like just more gnarly stuff. You know, I mean, like when we talk about building management systems and smart buildings, it's, um, you know, an LED light bulb is made to plug into um, a, an existing fixture. Um, and sometimes these new technologies aren't built to plug into existing mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. HVAC systems and things like it's very hard to make a universally adaptable thing, you know. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's lots I, I of reasons. Will, but yeah. I will say though, Kira, you make a good point about risk and the risk of a building becoming obsolete if it doesn't make these upgrades and doesn't become more sustainable. And that's something that's kind of called transition risk mm-hmm. where where owners are, are st- and investors especially are starting to get concerned where if they are investing or owning a building that will, won't meet expectations of, of climate reg- of city regulations or tenant leasing expectations or, or future buyer expectations, it, I mean, it's, it's a useless building. And so right. that concern is starting to grow. And yeah. we're, we're starting yeah. to see a little more anecdotally, unfortunately, I haven't seen stats on this, 
hard stats, but anecdotally, we're seeing green premiums on high sustainable buildings yep. and brown discounts on horribly inefficient buildings. And yeah, and that's what I'd like to see that, more of. That, Yeah. Agreed. Let's get the appraisers on board. Yes. Let's get the brokers on board. Let's go. CoStar, yeah, yeah. let's do it. CoStar. Lindsay knows I'm a little bit of a broken record on this, but I'm sort of I'm obsessed with the risk piece because I really do think that uh, like the insurers, once the insurers really start factoring it in and pricing it accordingly, it's going to, it will drive everything really quickly. Preach. <laughs> yes. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Marta, on the other flip side, I guess we've kind of talked about it, but anything else that you want to highlight that are areas that you think we have not made enough progress on? Oh gosh, not made enough progress on? Yeah, like with things where you're kind of disappointed looking back to the past decade, like, oh, gosh. man, we're we, all, really, we really missed the mark. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're all a little cynical these days, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. I, would say, <laughs> I would say, I'm just, I mean, the, the smart building stuff is, is definitely a big one for me. I would say figuring out tenant relationships is another big one that it, that just nut hasn't been cracked yet. Yeah. Uh, submeters are super expensive. So it's hard to convince buildings to submeter their tenant spaces unless it's required by the government. Uh, tenants don't care about energy in their day job. So it's really hard to get them to care about it as a, a side thing. Uh, property managers are so busy with their normal things like fixing the elevator and managing day-to-day -day property efforts that they don't have time to educate tenants on sustainability. It, it, it's just a, a number of factors that make tenant engagement and tenant sustainability so challenging. And there are a lot of programs out there to, to address that. Don't get me wrong. ULI has a tenant fit-out program. There's a Green Lease Leaders Initiative. Energy Star is working on a tenant space in recognition program, but we're still not there yet. And I, I am bummed that that the needle hasn't moved faster on that. Yeah, totally with you. I, it's just been, it's, it's interesting to see. I, I think I was on a panel recently with a commercial real estate leader who was, who was pointing out that the, the sort of the, the legal and insurance and political communities are going to start losing their patience with real estate being the like, you know, that sort of like, I'm trying to think of, it's like the cartoon where, um, where like um, this figure is like, oh yeah, that. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about like, basically the people who just kind of point at the other guy and say mm. like, oh, well, it's not us, it's this guy. And then the other guy's like, nope, it's him. You know, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a really great evasion tactic for a while. Um, but yeah, this was someone who was basically saying like, eventually they're going to say, look, figure it out. It's a building. Somebody's got to take responsibility for it. Um, but yeah. we've just gotten so caught up in all of our different lease structures and things that, yeah, I, I support you. I think that's a great one. Um, to, all right. to end on yeah. a slightly lighter note though, just real yes. quick, I will say that, uh, Lindsay, one of our our fellow panelists on a panel back in LA a little while back, Ryan Tynus, he was with Tishman's Fire at the time. He, he yeah. said, you know, real estate is now starting to use the C word. C word. And we're like, oh my gosh, what is he going to say? Carbon. And, and it was just <laughs> such, a, yeah. it was such a good point. Like C-suite real estate leaders understand carbon, can speak to it eloquently and know that it's important. And that is a huge turn in the right direction. 
Yes, totally. I'll just say that. The C word. Yeah, he he did a really good job with it. I remember him saying that and I was like, oh God, I really (gasps) hope he's not going to say the word that I'm worried about here. And he did not. It was great. It was was good. Well delivered. Um, All right. Well, uh, good. On that lighter note, we want to end up by just um, our last question for you is uh, about who you're inspired by these days. Like who, who, who keeps you going? Who are you who do you look to for positive energy? So I, I really look to the women who get shit done despite all the, oh shoot, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? <laughs> That's fine. Okay. <laughs> I the, think you just did. <laughs> yeah, you did it. <laughs> so I, I would say the, the badass women who get shit done are, are the people I look to. And those I, on the big stage, they're like Hillary Clinton. I love her. Elizabeth Warren. I'm just endlessly fighting um, for the good things. And a little more um, lightly, Leslie Nope, she is my hero. Oh, if you've never Leslie. watched Parks and Rec, she just, she cares so deeply about her community and the work that she does, but she also values like, friends and life. And she's got this quote. If you've watched Parks and Rec, you probably know it. What we need to remember what's important in life. Friends, waffles, work. Or waffles, friends, work. Doesn't matter, but work is third. And and that quote just is so, <laughs> I, I resonate with that so deeply where, I mean, I'm on this podcast. I, I love the industry we're in and friends and waffles are important too. And so <laughs> she's great. She's so great. I love that. Leslie Nope. Yes. What a good energy to have in your life. She is incredible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I support you on the waffles point or support her on the waffles point. Um, 100% waffles are important. Um, well, that is a very nice note to end on. Um, thank you so much, Marta, for being here. It's been such a pleasure to have you. We're really, really happy that you were able to join. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you again for having me. Uh, all right. Well, um, with that, everyone, I hope that you have time to go back and watch some Parks and Rec episodes um, mm-hmm. to lighten up your, your day um, or whatever makes you happy. Um, we will be sending you lots of positive energy as always. That is it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week.